Well, it's a passage of Scripture uh, that causes uh, literally thousands of people, I'm sure, uh, to at best dismiss the church and the Bible, and oftentimes at worst to despise the church and the Bible. It's about the only passage. I remember one time I was invited by a mutual friend into a, into a family home. There was some struggle between the husband and wife. And, and uh, this mutual friend thought that maybe I could be of some help to them and so on. And, and as I began to unfold this passage, it's really the only time that I saw uh, one of the people flush red with anger and get up ready to walk out of the living room until our mutual friend said, no, no, just wait, just wait. It's not going to be what you think it is. It's a passage of scripture that we have to be honest. A passage of scripture, the misuse of which has caused a lot of misery and suffering in lives and sometimes scarring that goes on for generations. If you've been reading along, of course, and you might already guess what the passage is, the passage is, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And we hear that passage of Scripture, and in flooding our minds comes all kinds of stories and all kinds of horrific things that we've heard of or, or maybe even experienced. And it's just a tough spill pill to swallow. We're going to take a look at that in its, in its context of everything a little bit because I think that that's going to, that's going to help us uh, dispel uh, some of the mistruths that are out there and oftentimes have been perpetrated in, and, and, and passed on in the church to God's great sorrow. But what I want us to, to understand is this sentence that we have up here. This is, this is kind of what we want to do. That being filled with the Spirit means we understand standing under. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we understand in very, very practical ways standing under. Well, what is standing under? We, you see, that's literally what this word submit means. It means to stand under. Okay, so what we're going to talk about uh, really for the next three weeks is what it means to understand standing under and to live that out in such a way that we understand that it shows and is in fact true that the God of heaven is on our side and that this passage of scripture, these, the rest of the book of Ephesians, which focuses in on this, shows that this is what heaven feels like and how we can praise him in it. The passage, of course, is we're going to look at today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21, all the way through to verse 33. And then David's going to take uh, fathers and children and parents and children next week, and then I'll be back on with slaves and masters the week under that. But it's this whole thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we understand and we live out standing under. But before we get to that, I've got to give you a quick reminder, because we've got to, if we're going to understand this and live it out, we've got to have the whole context of this thing, or we mess it up, okay? So just a reminder that, uh, that the first three chapters of Ephesians... It's all about the great things that Christ has done and the emphasis is on the unity of the church. 
and he writes in there about the reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. He talks about how this great mystery of the church and what Christ has done in establishing his people causes the angels to gasp at the wisdom of God. And you might remember some of that. And then, and then we get into chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul begins to say, okay, now what I need you to do is I need you to understand what it is to live out in this kind of a context, what it is to live your life in this kind of a community. And so we're told in chapter 4, verse 1, live a life that is worthy of your calling. In other words, this is God saying, listen, I've set this up, and now what I want you to do, I want you to live this out, because then you live it out. That's when you're going to know that I am on your side. And so he starts off by saying, hey, we need to grow up and make a difference. That's our theme for this year. And that's, that, that's found right there in verse, 14, verse 15 of chapter 4. And then he goes on and he says, listen, uh, forget about living by the rules. What we're going to talk about here is how God by his spirit is going to transform us from the inside out. And when we're changed from the inside out, we don't need the rules and regulations and laws. We have the Holy Spirit who will empower us and engage us in life as we should live life. And then we came to chapter 5, verse 18, the Sunday before last, which is sort of the next key verse, which is in fact the verse which will drive the entire rest of the book of Ephesians. Because he says, listen, if you want to live this life worthily, if you want to live out the practical applications of what God has done in the first three chapters, the secret to that is to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, which leads to a mess. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's this command, it's this gift that God's going to give us the Spirit, but there's a command that we've got a part to play in, in opening up our lives, opening up our hearts, opening up the church, the gathered community, which really is the emphasis of the passage, to God refilling us. Because you see, we leak, don't we? We lose the power of the Spirit. We take back our life. We begin to walk away from the way of Jesus. And so we need this continually to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And so how do we do that? And what does it mean? And so we saw uh, the week before last that, that both the means and the expression of being filled by the Spirit is first of all, the first sign of it, the first way in which we yield ourselves to filling the Spirit is corporate worship. It's our corporate worship. It's as we sing psalms and hymns and spirit-inspired songs to one another that our hearts are cracked open and the church is cracked open and God can fill us with his empowering presence, the Holy Spirit. That is, we said, the first sign of being full of the Spirit is this life worship and it's also the primary means by which we say, Holy Spirit, come and fill us up as a people and as individuals. And it's in this context that we then come to the second sign of being full of the Spirit. The second way you can know whether or not I have the fullness of the Spirit. The second way we know whether or not this congregation is a Spirit-filled church. And the second way is a life of submission. A life committed to not standing over with power, but to stand under with gracious 
loving service. Let's read it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. <laughs> for the husband is head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Oh, man. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of this body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. This is from Genesis, you remember this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Verse 21 is the key for what we are going to be talking about for the next three weeks. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, what Paul is going to do, he's going to take the established structure of society. And you can read in the ancient writings and all of the philosophers and so on, they had what they call these household codes, okay? That's what household rules, that's what they talk about. And it just talked about how structure of society is and how society is going to work. And so what, what Paul is going to do here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's going to take this well-recognized structure of society, husbands and wives, parents and children, and commerce, slaves and masters, and so on. He's going to take these established structures of society, which as the Ephesians were reading along, they thought, oh yeah, we recognize this, oh yeah, we recognize this, we understand this. But what he's going to do, is it's going to look the same from the outside in these structures, but on the inside, he's going to absolutely so change it that it's upside down, and becomes actually kind of unrecognizable for what they would have been expecting. And so often for what we would have been expecting too. You know, Shin and I like to watch this show, Escape to the country. I think I've told you that before. Have you, do you watch it? I've told you guys. You've got to watch this stuff. See, fellow English person right there. You know what it is? It's these English people that want to get out of horrific places like London. 
and moved to nice villages like I grew up, you know, in the countryside. So it's kind of a trip down the Stolly Lane for me, and Sheena gets to see these houses and stuff. But what's really cool about this stuff is that, um, you know, they'll, they'll do things like barn conversions, right? And so you go out and, well, this is a great two-listed barn conversion, blah, 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 blah. And on the outside, it's just this, you know, old, like, four, 500-year-old building, you know, sandstone or whatever, like the one I lived in was sandstone, you know. And, uh, and then you walk inside, and it's like, holy smokes. It's totally up to date. It's totally marvelous. The light is great and all of these kind of things. And, and, and you know, and it's just a marvelous thing. Well, it's kind of like that what Paul's going to do. The structure on the outside is going to look like the same. But as soon as you step into what Paul is going to say about how we relate to each other, it's going to look so totally different. It's almost unrecognizable and certainly unexpected in the day that Paul wrote these words. And so he starts off. Submit to one another as a reverence for Christ. And at first, you know, for that thing, well, that makes sense, you know, because the whole thing was built on hierarchy. It was a shame on a society. And, and so there were people that you respected above you and people that you submitted to your patron. And, you know, uh, most of all in the family, there was the patar familiar, the, the father, the father figure who had absolute rule and voice and word over literally life and death, physical life and death over his children. And so in the... And the Somebody's wife. And so they, they would expect this, but then all of a sudden he says, no, 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 we're going to change what this whole thing is. We're going to talk about submitting to one another. What we're going to say is that in our relationships and our families, he's going to begin with that, but he carries on, we don't stand over with power, but we stand under with humble service. The stance of the Christian in our relationships is the stance of a servant who uses whatever power and ability and station in life that we have to lift up the other, submit to one another. And so you notice that it's mutual submission. This is kind of a shocking thing. I mean, there's no possible way to submit to somebody who's of a lower status than me, submit to somebody who has less authority than me, submit who's less, less power in money and social status and gender, submit to this person, not a chance. But it's this mutual submission. Submit to one another. You need to understand, that's the key. This verse right here, verse 21, governs everything else we're going to say for the rest of the time, is this mutual submission. And what he's saying is, listen, if you want to know if the Holy Spirit has filled your home, the measurement is mutual submission. The measurement is husband and wife, in the first example, being ready to stand under the other and lift them up for them to be fully the person that God has intended them to be. Well, why would we do that? Because everything has changed. We do this out of reverence for Christ. Because when you become a Christian, you begin to understand that your entire life is now going to be radically different than anything that you perhaps have ever expected. Everything is going to be changed. And no matter what society says, or no matter what power you may have, or no matter what your family tradition may have been, all of that kind of gets wiped off the board because now we live out of reverence, out of respect, out of worship of, out of submission to Jesus. You see, and here's the trick. 
What the Bible teaches is that to be fully human is to be in relationships. It's part of being made in the image of God because God is three persons in one. Relationship with another being is at the core of who God is. And so being in relationship with other human beings is at the core, and with God, is at the core of what it means to be human. So to be human is to be into relationship and to be in a Christian relationship, a Christ-honoring, revering relationship, is to be in a relationship of mutual submission where we stand under, not over. Now, I like what Lynn Kohick said in one of the lectures I was listening to about her. She said, you know, the the average Greco-Roman reader, as they're going through Ephesians, they would kind of read the first little bit, and they'd they'd be doing fine because their understanding of this, you know, submit to one another. Well, yes, submit to one another. You submit to me, wife. You'll submit to me, children. That's kind of how they would read it. That's what it means to submit to one another, and, and I'll submit to the governing or my patron or whatever. But Kohick says, you know, when what would happen is they would get down to this whole thing about husbands loving their wives. And as soon as they had that verse, she said, I like what she said, that would trip them up and they would fall on their face. Because they would suddenly realize that what Paul was saying under the inspiration of the spirits is something completely different than they ever expected. Something completely different than society has ever told them. Something completely different than the power that men and husbands and fathers and slave owners were given at the time. And so I want to start off by talking about what it, what it is to be a submitting husband. Because you see, what would happen is they go along, yeah, 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 submit, 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 love your husband, what? What? And as soon as they hit that whole part about where, where we are to love our wives as Christ lived, loves the church and gave himself up for her, they go, whoa, we got to reread this whole thing because obviously everything is different than what I thought it meant. So let's start with where these Ephesians would have fallen on their face, as Kohik says. Well, verse 25 is the key. It's the key. I mean, husbands are told four times as many verses on what husbands are supposed to do than what wives are. But verse 25 is the key. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. Came to the position of a servant. Came to the people and came not as, you know, gave up that whole, what was that song? We left his throne and took a cradle in the dirt. That was kind of a cool thing too. That that was this whole thing. That Christ gave himself up. He gave up his authority. He gave up his throne. He gave up his power and became powerless and became a servant, a man, even a servant, even a bond servant to the death on a cross. You see, it's the role of the husband to set the tone of self-sacrifice for the sake of the spouse. Paul's saying, listen, you husbands, what you need to do is you need to take the initiative. When things start to go wrong and things start to go haywire, you need to take the initiative in submitting first. You need to take the initiative saying, you know what, honey, if this is what's best for you, then that's that's what we're going to do. You need to take the initiative in setting up the atmosphere of grace. Well, husband, it's your job to let women feel so, your wives to be so free that they can explore and they can expand and they can fail and they can succeed, knowing all along that you are standing underneath, loving, serving, encouraging, 
protecting, picking up the pieces. It is your job, as Christ did, to set the tone of forgiveness. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While our wives are still sinning, while our wives are doing stuff that is driving us crazy, while our wives are doing stuff that is illegitimately, you know, it's wrong, it's hurtful, it's bad. In the midst of that, before she says, I'm sorry, dear, you forgive. That's the atmosphere. That's what Christ did first. He did it first. I remember being in a men's Bible study one years ago now and uh and so you know they start talking about marriage and all this kind of stuff and I remember one dude he starts at this starts with the sentence kind of ticked off his wife and he says well I think I've got a right to expect and literally this other guy literally leaps out of his chair wasn't me leaps out of his chair and says you have no rights hold it you have no rights When you said you'd marry that woman, you gave up every right. You have no rights except to love and to serve. And then we all went home. (laughs) I suppose that's a bit of an overstatement. It can be an unhealthy, unhealthy kind of a deal can happen there. But the sentiment is right. Christ gave it all up. He took the initiative. He set the stone. He opened up his arms in the hope that his bride, his people, would come to him. Husbands, lay down your lives, your wife. Now, here's what's interesting. Kohik mentioned this too. I can't remember the guy she quoted it. But he said, you know, the thing is for men, being, you know, being who, who we are, that sounds so heroic, doesn't it? I'd die for my wife. But <laughs> the interesting thing is, is that, you know, listen, what we're talking about here is a non-heroic laying down of your life. Yeah, it's a great thing. You get your name in the newspaper. You know, somebody broke into your house and you took him on. He shot you and ran away and your wife lived and your kids were fine. Isn't that great? And here's the name. It's going to be on your tombstone. But you may remember a few years ago, Mallory was preaching a sermon and she, and she said something that Adam said that, that, that was just brilliant on this. You might remember it. It stuck with me. Because Adam said to Mallory, Mallory, I would die for you, but I'm not sure I want to wash the dishes every night. You see, the getting down of my life that Paul is talking about, that God is inspiring, yeah, it's standing in front of the bullets, I guess. But for all of us and most of us, It probably looks a whole lot more like doing the dishes. We stand under our wives. That's what submitting husbands do. It's what spirit-filled husbands do. It's what spirit-filled men do. We stand under. We use whatever, whatever we have, whatever position, whatever finances, whatever authority, whatever... Whatever, we use that to lift up others, and in this context, our wives. Well, it's in that context where they would read this and go, holy jump, and I've got to go back and read this again, about that wives are to submit to their husband. You know, it's really kind of interesting. If you, if you, as we read on, you'll see that Paul always addresses the, the socially weaker in that culture, the socially weaker person first. He addresses wives first, he addresses children first, and he addresses slaves first. You know he does that? 
Because in that culture, most people are thinking, why would you bother talking to women? Why, why would you bother talking to kids? What are you bothering talking to slaves for? They've got no say. They've got no status. They've got no choice. And Paul begins with, with those who are socially weaker to give them some dignity, to give them some sense. He doesn't go right from submit to one another to wives, submit to your husband because, you know, you women need to learn this most. No, he does that first because he's saying, listen, you need to understand that you women who in our culture and in our society, you wives who are just under this, this, this patriarch and life and death depends on it, you women have a choice. You women have status. You women have the eyes and the interest and the ears and the heart of God himself. And so he says, women, wives, submit, take the position of being under and using whatever power you have, whatever abilities you have to lift up your husband. Take this dignity that I'm giving you of speaking to you as an inspired apostle that society says you're not worth speaking to. I'm speaking to you and take this dignity and use it to love your husband. And as I've said around here for 40 years now, but just a reminder, the word submit does not appear in verse 22 in the Greek text. It's not even there. It's not even there. Didn't appear. It does not say, wives, submit to your husbands and to the Lord. It says, submit to one another out of reverence from Christ, wives to your own husband and to the Lord. Because it completely grows out of this mutual submission stance that God says is the key to a healthy relationship. Relationship which God says is key to being fully human. Let me tell you a secret, okay? Let me just put it on the ground a little bit. How do I do this? How do I do this? I'll tell you how. It's to remember that all of this is out of reverence for Christ and everything that I say and everything that I do needs to pass through Jesus. You know, you've, you've seen on the TV shows, or maybe you've seen, like, you know, somebody's, you know, husband and wife, they're arguing, they're mad, and their adult child is there, and so, Andrew, tell your mother, blah, 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 blah. Sheena says, Andrew, tell your father, blah, blah. You've seen that in the shows, right? How that whole thing goes like that. The point is this, is that a reverence for Christ, it's like I say to Jesus, Jesus, tell Sheena, blah, 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 blah. And if I wouldn't have put those words that I'm about to say into the mouth of Jesus, then I'd better not be saying them, right? It's out of reverence for Christ. That's the key. Every word that I say, it's it, it got to pass through Jesus. Jesus, tell Sheena this. Oh, you wouldn't say that? Guess I shouldn't either. And same thing for Sheena. Sheena says to Jesus, Jesus, help me to do this. Or Jesus, help me to avoid that. And if Jesus wouldn't help Sheena to do this or avoid that, then Sheena shouldn't be avoiding this or avoiding that. Just remember in this whole thing, out of reverence for Christ, remember that it all has to pass through Jesus. In all of our relationship, it passes through Jesus. Whether we're talking about husband and wife, whether we are talking about parents and children, whether we are talking about slaves and masters, it all has to pass through Jesus. So just before you speak, 
Just say, Jesus, will you tell Sheena? Jesus, will you help me too? And see how that measures up. Now, this is such an emotional issue for us and for our society. And let's be honest. A lot of the reason for that is the misuse of this text by the church. And some of you bear scars, whether this happened to yourself or historically or whatever, by the misuse of that text. It's such an emotional thing for us and it's so central to our lives that oftentimes we miss actually what Paul says is the main point of this passage. And as a result of that, we waste this passage on wedding ceremonies. Because Paul says, actually, you know what? <laughs> the truth is, I'm not really talking about marriage. That's not really what I'm most importantly to me in my heart. What I'm really writing about is the relationship between Jesus and the church. That's what I'm really on about here. In fact, there's this absolutely shocking statement in this passage. And the shocking statement is that actually the reason for marriage is so that we have a picture, an image, an inkling of the love and the joy and the intimacy and the partnership between Jesus and the church. The whole point of a great marriage the whole point of being able to delight in your wife and delight in your husband and all of these different things, the whole point of that is because then we can say, you know what? Boy, this is what my relationship as the church, as the corporate gathering together is to be to Jesus. That's what verses 31 and 32 mean in context. It goes to that whole thing. And it quotes Genesis, right? It says, that's just for this reason the husband shall leave his, his family, his father and mother, and join to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What he's saying is that, listen, the whole reason God invited marriage is because he knew there was going to be a time when the Son of God would come flesh and establish the church, and the church is going to be his bride. So let me give you an, an intense, marvelous relationship to give you a bit of a hint of how much Jesus loves the church and how much the church should delight in Jesus. I set this whole marriage thing up so that when it's at its best, you're reminded of how much Jesus loves the church and the church loves Jesus. It's really quite staggering. But I'm not just saying this. Look at, listen to what Frank Tillman, one of, the, one of the key scholars on Ephesians says. He says this. As surprising as it may seem, Paul is saying in 531 that God has instituted marriage because the church is Christ's body. This probably means that the union of husband and wife in one flesh was originally intended to prefigure and to illustrate the union that Christ now has with the church. Our, our, our whole marriage thing is it's so intense, we miss that Paul says, you know what, the truth is, this whole husband and wife thing, really it's just an illustration. That's why God put it there. Because he wants us to have some sense of the bride and the groom, Jesus and the church. And he says, look at how Jesus views his bride. Look at how Jesus views the church. He presents her to himself as a radiant church 
without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's how Christ views the church. This is what Christ has done. He's created a body and he sees us in this way. He sees us as beautiful and radiant and without blemish and without spot and marvelous. Just like, you know, guys, when you stood there at the front of the deal and you saw your bride walking down that aisle and she's just radiant, it's like, oh. (laughs) That's Christ in the church. That's Christ in the church. Now listen, I talked last week. The church has got lots of problems. Man, we got dirty laundry all over the place that we need to wash up and clean up. And I spoke, the last time I spoke about the whole thing, you know, with Hillsong and money and sex and, and all of those things. And it needs to be addressed. But it's addressed not by divorcing the church. It's addressed by honestly facing our dirty laundry and owning up to the mistakes that we've made in the past, including the handling of this passage. I'm telling abused women that, well, go home and submit a little better. We need to repent of that stuff, admit it. Screwed up for centuries. But we need to understand how Christ views the church. We need to understand what this passage Paul says. This is what I'm really about. This is a picture of the church in new creation. This is the church of how we will eventually be. And I know we've got dirty laundry now, but this is the direction we're going. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we are filled with the Spirit, as the church becomes and is a spirit filled church we become a bride of Christ that is pure and bright and spotless and without blemish and holy and pleasing to God and that's how we have to view the church that's what Paul's whole deal is here He's going through these household codes and he's saying, yeah, 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 this is mutual submission, but this is what you need to understand. What I'm really talking about is how much Jesus loves the church and how much the church loves Jesus. I really wish I could communicate this because there's such disparaging of the church, even amongst Christians, I don't really understand how that happened because it's not like the church in the New Testament was anything great. And the, the, I'll tell you, you want to know why we have the New Testament? Because Paul had to keep writing lessons to these people because he kept messing it up. But somehow in this culture in our time right now, we've lost the love that Jesus has for his church. And somehow we've thought that the, the way to handle this is to divorce ourselves from the corporate body. And Paul's saying, no, no, you need to understand that you need to view the church as Christ loved the church because you are the church. And we need to submit to one another and serve one another and use whatever it is that we can to lift one another up that the church can be how Jesus sees the church so that the world can see the relationship, the intimacy that God wants with humankind. He says, yeah, this is a great mystery. Really, God set this whole marriage thing up so you could understand the church. But the ends up, oh yeah, 
verse 33. But by the way, it's still true. In spite of it really being about the church, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He just kind of comes back at it. He's just trying to tell her that to be full of the Spirit is to understand standing under. That's the evidence of the Spirit. We worship corporately, we yield ourselves to God, and we understand what it means to stand under in our relationships with each other. To give up whatever power we have and to use that for the sake of the other. You know, back uh, when I was finished in between uh, third and fourth year of college, I came up here to do a summer ministry year been with us a preacher for a while and in desperation they had me come up and, and do it and Sheena and I were engaged Sheena was in Edmonton and, uh, and, I, and I was here and so I used to write her a letter every day not because I'm romantic it's because I was too cheap to phone <laughs> but I remember this, this one time I, used, I was up at the, at, at the um, you know kind of like what it is Mackenzie Place or whatever visiting and, and I saw several times an elderly couple. And, uh, um, oh, I'm going to get worked up here. It drives me crazy. <laughs> and the wife had had a severe stroke. And I saw this couple so many times. They were, you know, as a 21-year-old guy who looked ancient to me. They must have been 60 or something. The, the older couple, he, you know, he had to walk slow and his wife was just sort of contorted up and sitting in this chair. And uh, he would push her around and he'd pass things of beauty and he'd say, look dear, there's this. And I could hear him talk and then she'd drool a little and he'd stop and wipe away the drool, give her a kiss, talk some more. I said, Lord, when I get married in a couple of months, give me that love for my bride. Today I've seen love. Give me that love that whatever ability I have to push the wheelchair, to wipe away drool, to give a kiss that's not responded to. Give me that love. Because I want to love my bride as Christ loves the church who wipes away our drool and points out the beauty and gives us a kiss even when we don't respond to him. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Live a life be in relationships that understand standing under. Almighty God, 
it's tempting for me to go one way or the other with this whole thing. It's tempting to, to dismiss the idea of submission because we don't like it. On the other hand, it's tempting to just sort of fantasize about heroic acts that will put us in the annals of history. But this whole deal of what it really means to use whatever power, whatever authority, whatever status, whatever advantage, whatever skill for the sake of serving those we love. To stand under them and lift them up. And Lord, we pray for the church. Lord, we see it all over and many of us have experienced it. There, there can be a mess that can be a mess. And even, even this passage regarding marriage, man, we, we, there are so many times when the church has made a mess because we've misunderstood, misused, whatever. And so it can be tempting to just sort of give up and we hear people say, well, you know, I'm not divorcing Jesus, but I'm divorcing the church. But you created marriage. So when it works well, it's an illustration of the intimacy, the love, the desire, the passion that Jesus, you have for your church and the church has for you. Lord, I want to ask by the power of your spirit that you would fall upon the believers of this world and reignite a passion for the church. passion for the church because we are passionate about you, Jesus. So come Holy Spirit and mold and shape each one of us to live lives that demonstrate that we understand and live out standing under just as you did. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.